Welcome back to Looking Backwards, Looking Forwards. I'm Osseti Jones, and I'm here with C. Thomas Printer. Looking backwards, we saw Ford earnings, and they recorded a loss in their EV, Electronic Vehicles Division. The CEO says, think of it like a startup. It is normal to lose money at first. But to me, that sounded bizarre, taking a giant profit-making company to a cash-burning state. Welcome to EV World. See, Thomas, you will love this. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, there's an article. We'll attach the link to the Detroit Free Press, but they kind of go through what the Ford earnings were. Um, a couple of things really caught my eye, right? So the Mustang Mach-E had an average transaction price of $61,941. Divide that over 60 months and give me your payment. It's over a thousand bucks. We've talked about this before. Who can afford these new vehicles at these prices? The answer is not enough people. That's why they're losing money, mm-hmm. right? And so if this thing was liked and not mandated by these governments, there would be an explosion of growth, right? Think back to the 60s when Ford had the Mustang and All of a sudden, they had no problem selling millions of cars, and all of a sudden, that became very popular and very profitable. This is not the case with this. There is a small subset of the population that has a real green thumb that wants to do environmentally um, sound things. There's another group of the population that thinks that, you know what, I can save money on high-priced gas, so I'll get an EV by buying a car that has a $1,000 payment. And then there's some that are saying, oh, wow, the government's kind of forcing us to do this, and California is going to outlaw all these cars, so we better buy EV cars. But this is not organic, natural growth based on consumer preference. It's not enough market demand to make these things profitable, right? And it's just, we've talked about the supply chain issues that they're going to run into. It's just a short-sighted best. I've heard talk that they are screaming at these copper companies to open new copper mines because they see the writing on the wall. And you're not going to permit the copper mines, so you're not going to have the copper mines. So we're going to put all this technology and all this marketing and all this factory building into EV cars. And then what's going to happen in two or three years? We, we don't have enough copper. We don't have enough raw earth because China controls a bunch of them. What's happening right now in their division of 700 million will be a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of money that they're going to lose on this in the future <laughs> if we have real supply chain shortages. So stay tuned on that. But then this is what's happening is all of them are doing that. So they're going to come up, just like we said last week, bailout. We want a bailout. We want a bailout because we did what you told us to do. No, the government should get the hell out of private enterprise, including autos. Got it. <laughs> you knew where I was going to go with that. Uh, <laughs> yes, I got my answer. <laughs> And that ceiling discussions gained pace. As Secretary Yellen said, the U.S. could hit the limit in just weeks. Yeah, she came out and said the uh, X date was June 1st, which mm-hmm. is much sooner than a lot of people thought. And there is a small subset of people in the Congress that are really starting to take their heels in. And they're just saying, no, enough is enough, right? So uh, Anne-Marie Horton and Kaylee Lyons had a interview with Republican um, Byron Donald from Florida. And mm-hmm. he just said, absolutely not, right? We're not doing a small extension. 
we need to address this problem. And we're here and we're elected to do this. And this is our job is to solve this problem. And he's basically saying we need to cut a bunch of this fat. We've had numerous episodes of bygone relics where we go through the CARES Act and all these big, huge legislative packages. And we just reveal the pork, how much they're spending on this. They asked for $500 million, and somehow they just decided to spend $1.2 billion. All of this is wasteful, wasteful spending. Rand Paul came out, and he has his annual, um, I forget the name of the, the thing, but he calls it the uh, $482 billion wasteful spending. He's got a clever name for it. Same <laughs> concept. All of these things need to be cut. Right. So in order to do this, we need to get a handle on the spending. And I think there's some people that actually have a little backbone and they'll probably take this right down to the wire. But the thing is, is we don't have to default on our debts. We can still pay our debts after the X date. All we have to do is cut some other stuff that we would normally spend on. So we might be closing national parks and we might be doing some of these other things while we go into this. But we can still pay the debts that are owed, but we can just start delaying some of this. And I think we're going to have this conversation. And I think there's going to be a lot of political wrangling is probably the best word between the Senate, the House and the the White House. And right now, we haven't really started much of this. And we're only three weeks out. So they better get started or it's going to be even more dramatic, which is probably really what they want. Correct. Meanwhile, the jobs report for April came out and the job market looks very tight. We're down to unemployment rate of 3.4%, which is again, tied for the lowest level since 1969. Um, the other thing that was really interesting in that was the average hourly earnings. Mm. The inflation barometer mm-hmm. up to 0.5%. Mm, annual, that's interesting. Yeah, the annual was 4.4%. Both of those two percentage points higher than what they were expecting, right? They were expecting 0.3 and 4.2. So wage growth, inflation at half a percent, annualize that as 6%. Wait, hold on. Inflation is 6% in hourly earned, or I'm sorry, average hourly earnings. We now have a 6% annualized rate. Where's the Fed funds rate? We're at five. We're still not above it. We're still not above it. And that's what really concerns me when say, ah, see, Powell's pause now. This is not how you get inflation down. You get inflation down by taking the Fed funds rate above all of these metrics, above the 6% that we're projecting here, right? Now, this is just one month, but we have to take this over and above to actually crush inflation. And I just keep seeing little ticks like this that tell us the inflation is not going away. And as long as inflation is not going away, Powell says that he's not done. And so everyone can say he's paused, he's ready to pivot, the bond market can already figure it in and figure all these cuts in. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Noted, C. Thomas. Then let's go to looking forwards. We are looking forward to FDIC plans to hit big banks with higher fees because they want to refill the deposit insurance fund. And um, I could rephrase this as, well, average American citizen will pay for the deposits saved in FDIC intervention on failed banks. Um, In other words, the average American will pay for the rich. Of course. This was... (laughs) 
you know, a bailout always ends up back in the taxpayer's lap. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. This is not a bailout. No, no, this is not it. This is FDIC. Well, the FDIC is going to pass it on to the big banks. Well, okay, but where are all the deposits go? All these people, remember we had this banking crisis and the deposit flight mm-hmm. from all these regional banks? Well, where mm-hmm. the hell do you think it's going? Some's going to money market funds, but a whole bunch of it's going to JP Morgan, right? Sure. They passed 10% of the uh, um, total deposits in, in America right now. So yeah, so everybody that's got a Chase, uh, Chase savings account, Chase checking account, sitting there earning 0.01% interest while JP is getting 5% from the Fed, well, of course we're paying for it. It's just in a roundabout way. So it's coming out of the profits of the bank that they're not paying the deposits to us, the, the depositors. Um, my checking account is with <laughs> Chase. So I'm, I'm <laughs> one of them that are paying it indirectly. But of course it comes back to the customers. You think you know, JP Morgan and the big banks have a little charity fund that says, ooh, we're not going to pass this on to the customers. We're going to take this money and pay you FDIC. No, goodness, no. Of course no. not. And the other thing that really bugs me about this is, I'm sorry, why does the FDIC get to choose which banks pay this and which ones don't? More government interference into the banking system, right? Well, Mm -hmm. why are we punishing the big banks? Not Mm -hmm. that I'm defending big banks here, but I'm just saying this is the way the system's played. Why do they get to decide this arbitrary number above this you pay, below it you don't have to? No, this is ridiculous. This is why you don't bail them out. You let the bank go broke. You let all those depositors that had millions of dollars over and above the 250K limit, which you pointed out were very rich VC people and this and that, they're all being bailed out by the taxpayers, by the individual small depositors. Everybody with a checking account with $77 until next payday that's earning 0.01% at JP Morgan, those are the people that are paying this. They're not getting the interest that they deserve because JP has to cover some of these fees to go back to bail out people that couldn't understand to read the sign that says 250 is guaranteed. Everything above that, you're at risk yourself. So we're bailing out the illiterate is what we're doing. Correct. You really are getting 0.01 interest on your Chase deposit? Goodness, this is nothing. It could be 0.07, but it's 0.007, right? So it's basically nothing. They don't pay nothing on checking accounts. And you don't keep a lot in there, but you keep, you know, enough to pay your bills in there. But we're getting nothing on that money, even though, um, you know, the banks are able to take all the excess deposits and they go and they they put them on uh, (laughs) with the Fed and and earn, you know, it's a real rate Mm -hmm. now. That mm-hmm. it was different two years ago when nobody was getting any money, right? It's different when, you know, if they were getting less than 1%, it's not much of a spread. My point is the spread has widened and the individual Correct. depositor has not felt mm-hmm. very much of that. That's one of the reasons they're taking some of their extra deposits, whether it's in their savings account or something else, and they're buying money market funds or they're buying treasures. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. good money management, you know, on an individual basis, but you still have to pay your bills. You put that money in there and you're not getting any of it. So that money... We're, we're getting the short end of the stick. And of course, the, the rich people that we bailed out, which we said we're going to get bailed out, are benefiting at the expense of the average taxpayer. Right. And um, some political rivals are collaborating in the Congress to, to imply a stock trading ban. I don't know how you say his name, and probably not hers either correctly. Matt Gates, um, mm-hmm. 
AOC, for lack of a better, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or whatever. <laughs> These are the crazy left wing and right wings of the party, right? AOC is the, the democratic socialist of America. Mm-hmm. And Matt Gates is the far right wing um, of the Republican Party. But they're both putting forward support to ban stock Um trading by Congress, and I believe also by the significant others. Well, this is interesting. We talked about this in January when Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri reintroduced a bill he called the Pelosi Act, preventing (laughs) elected leaders from owning securities and investments. And we talked about what a good trader she was. And man, she was just, (laughs) she made Warren Buffett look like a terrible trader. So I think this is back. I think it's a very popular thing for all of Congress to do, and it's supported in the polls. So I think you're going to always see this. The hard part is, you know, we talked about how Nancy could force through legislation and what a great career of getting bills done and passed and what a great legislator. But when it was something like the Pelosi Act, she couldn't even get it to a vote. So they've introduced this bill. I'm a big fan of uh, believing it when I see it. And I think they're going to introduce the bill. They can get their name on the newspaper. They can get their name on the Internet. But to actually even get a vote on this stuff is going to be very difficult. Why? Because everyone benefits from Congress, right? We've seen just recently, I forget who it was. Oh, um, there was a member of Congress that sold their stock in First Republic Bank four days before the the First Republic really started selling off. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Loy, uh, what was her name? Loy Frankel of Florida, right? So they sold shares of uh, First Republic and bought shares of J.P. Morgan. I was like, wow, look at the timing on that. She's the next, you know, (laughs) Charlie Munker, you know, and this is, this is what we're dealing with here. And so they know some of this stuff. They have inside information and they probably shouldn't be doing this. And I think this is probably unlikely to pass, but I like the fact that they're actually going to do that. Actually, Matt's (laughs) Gates made this joke. I'm supposed to believe that all of a sudden she's making moves like she's Warren Buffett. That was the joke he made. So he said, "Wow." Yeah. So, so everyone, nice. you know, including me, have the same lame joke. So it is what it is. <laughs> Finally, see Thomas, what does Apple earnings tell us? It came out quite strong. Lots of iPhones sold. Apple released earnings uh, last Thursday, and the one thing it told me from that was, I think their iPhone sales were up two percent. You know, and iPhones are really expensive down, right? They're like mm-hmm. thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars, and we're still able to buy them as the consumer, and we're just buying them and buying them, and buying them. So, like we talked last week, the consumer is still very strong. They're going on cruises, they're going to Vegas, they're they're buying their seven dollar cups of coffee every day. This economy is going to take longer to slow, if my theory is correct, than what we think. Right. And a lot of people say, well, the American consumer is very, very, you know, resolute and they're 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 just going to keep spending and we're going to spend our way out of this. And that's certainly one scenario that could happen. I just don't think so. Right. But I think and Steve Hankey, who is the associate uh, economics professor at Johns Hopkins, he came out four or five months ago. I was listening to him and he said that all those trillions of stimulus, he said, we've only really worked through about 30, 35% of it at that time. And I thought about that and I was like, wow, I think my timeline is just not nearly long enough. I think this stuff, these big stimulus that we've, you know, 
COVID Act, the CARES Act, all of these stimulus measures, this money takes a lot longer to work through the system than we often think. And I'm reminded of the, the housing crisis in 2007, right? It started in 2007, but it didn't bottom until 2012, right? So it took five years. And really, we're only about 18 months into this thing, right? Stocks kind of peaked in the fall of 2021. And we're only about 18 months into this thing. We've seen the slowdown, the long and variable lags from the Fed raising interest. That just started last March by a quarter point. So, you know, we're only into the very beginning stages of this. And I just think that we rush our timelines a lot of times. And sometimes we need to think, okay, we need to start thinking five years out. And we're only 18 months into that five-year slowdown. Well, we can't be surprised when the, you know, unemployment report comes out like this. And I think these things um, are sequenced and we have to make sure that we think about the sequencing correctly. And right now the consumer has not felt the the constraint on his spending, whether it's on the credit card or excess extra savings they got from a home equity line of credit that they took out a year ago when interests were low, all of these things the money is still flowing. So as long as the money is still flowing, we're probably not going to see huge um, stock market sell-offs. We're not going to see huge failings in a lot of different places. There's just going to be pockets that start popping up. And that's kind of what we're seeing in banking, which were the riskiest of the risky, but it hasn't gotten systemic yet. And I think the systemic has to take a little more time because there's still enough money in the system that a systemic problem isn't going to show itself. And the reason I'm saying all of this is that gives Jay Powell more room to work. And everyone's discounting this and no one's talking about this. I think this gives him more cover to say, yeah, just like we saw there in the, uh, the employment report, we might have to go a little higher and no one's talking about this. And I don't know that he'll go higher right now, but if he pauses and we see this inflation start creeping back in two, three months, he could go right back to raising. And I don't see big jumps again. But he could start raising another quarter point to just kind of push this down again. And nobody's expecting that, especially the bond market. Exciting. That's for sure. See, Thomas, thank you very much. I will talk to you next week. Thank you, Austerity. Until next week, I'm reminded of a quote from Frank Lloyd Wright. I'm all in favor of keeping dangerous weapons out of the hands of fools. Let's start with typewriters. And iPhones are the typewriters of today. Thank you.